This is a Federal News Network original podcast. The bipartisan budget framework that received holy dispensation from President Trump does not, in fact, mean there's a budget deal. Far from it. Contractors note the progress, but they're not taking anything to the bank. Joining me in studio with more, David Berteau, president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. David, good to have you in. Thank you. Good to be here. So we do have a budget framework deal, at least in half the Congress. What's your take and what, how does the industry look at all of this? Well, last week, of course, uh, the bill was introduced. Uh, the agreement was reached. The bill was introduced and the House passed it by a, a fairly comfortable margin, almost a two to one majority, including over 60 Republicans voting for it and about 16 Democrats voting against it. This week, it goes to the Senate. Uh, every indication, uh, you know, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he expects the bill to pass. Uh, probably by a wide bipartisan majority, and be sent to the president, and and hopefully the president will sign it. He's certainly indicated that uh, he supports the bill, so we expect that he would sign it. Uh, this gives us a framework, as you mentioned. It gives us the the defense discretionary dollars for FY20, which starts, by the way, in barely two months, and also FY21, uh, which will not start until uh, uh, October of next year. And and it also gives you a, a total for non-defense agencies, civilian agencies. What it doesn't do is it doesn't break those totals down into what they're actually going to be spent on. That's still the job of the appropriators uh, to do. And uh, the House has passed 10 of the 12 appropriations bills, but not in line with the numbers that's in this bipartisan budget agreement. The Senate hasn't introduced any such bills yet. The Senate typically waits until they know what the numbers are before they do their appropriations. So there's a lot of work to be done. There's only two months left to do it, and they're about to take a five or six week time off. Sure. And we had agreements last year. And then what happened? Well, that's right. I mean, you go back to February of 2018. So barely a year and a half ago, we reached a deal on FY18 and on FY19. For some agencies, this worked out well for defense, for HHS, for VA. They got a full year appropriations before the start of the fiscal year. And they took full advantage of that. But for nine cabinet departments, as we well know, we did not have an agreement and we ended up with a 35-day government shutdown. So just because you have an agreement on the spending level doesn't mean that you're going to have a government that's going to be open. And the numbers are up according to this framework. And so a couple of years ago, the president said he would never sign a budget like that again, but he signed two of them since. Well, he has. And uh, but and, and it's, the question is, how do you package these appropriations bills? One of the things that he emphasizes, he didn't want a giant omnibus bill with all 12 appropriations bills rolled into it. Um, if Congress is going to pass multiple appropriations bills, then there are two big questions. When do they do it? And what order do they do it? Because one of the lessons you learned last time is you package health and human services, VA, defense together. It takes the pressure off doing the rest of them. And so, you know, for agencies that depend on these funding and obviously for our members who do the important work to keep those agencies going, um, what money you get and when you get it becomes vitally important. Yeah. And if you don't really know the program by program preferences that are in the appropriations bills, and it's kind of hard to do long-term business planning too, wouldn't it be? It is long-term business planning difficulty, and, and it's even more complicated by the fact that the president's budget for fiscal year 20 for many of these agencies did not project the increase that's in this deal. It actually projected a decrease, a decrease at or below the cap. So you may well have agency spending plans documented, presented to the Congress, articulated with great justification material, reams of paper articulating these things that are inconsistent with the amount of money they're actually going to get. And this makes it difficult for them actually to obligate the funds and execute the programs necessary. It's tough for contractors to do good business planning here. Yeah, because the agencies, you know, politically, I guess you could say they wanted less money for a lot of 
programs, but they're actually going to get more money. Right. Pretty so they much have across a, they, the board. They have a plan to spend less, and now they're going to get more. They have a guidance from OMB that says plan to spend less and actually structure yourself to spend less. You know, uh, don't have an, any more people than you need, for instance. So you have shortfalls all across the government, disconnects between what Congress has said your job is and the, and the funds and resources to do it and the resources you actually have available, including the workforce. One of the things that we see is a dramatic slowdown in how fast contracts are solicited, evaluated, and awarded. And, of course, the 35-day shutdown uh, had a big impact on that as well. One agency told us you can expect a three-day delay for every day they were shut down in terms of new work coming out and contracts being awarded. Yeah, so that's a whole quarter right there. That's right. We're speaking with David Berteau, president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. And I guess what you're hinting at is that agencies can drag their feet if they – just don't want to spend all the money they've got for whatever reason. That's certainly the case. Now, you do have an Empowerment Control Act passed by Congress in 1974 and reinforced by right. Supreme Court decisions that says if Congress appropriates the money, the government has to spend it, right? Uh, we've had a great deal of difficulty determining whether they actually have spent their money. In fact, the administration no longer provides uh, uh, an exhibit in its uh, annual budget that shows whether there were funds that expired unobligated from previous years. We track this as carefully as we can. We think there are a number of agencies with only two months to go that are getting very close to the possibility of not obligating the funds that Congress has appropriated, essentially in contraindi- in contraindicated by what the law says they should be doing. Well, yeah, it seems like every branch of government pretty much does what it wants to these days, regardless of what they're supposed to do in relation to one another. Well, and there's important work that needs to be done. Yes, I mean, the government is. does a lot of important work and it needs to get done. All right. And uh, contractors are concerned about something called CPARs. The Contractor Performance Assessment Rating System. What's going on there? Right. So in addition to getting the funds and the resources necessary to get the work done and get contracts in place, uh, the government has to decide who to award a contract to. And a key element of that inside the government uh, evaluation system is past performance. So there are several ways in which the government uh, collects data about past performance, but they're trying to regularize all this around something called the CPARS, the Contractor Performance Assessment Rating System. So you would get a CPAR, a performance assessment rating. It would be entered into this system. There are procedures for companies to say, ah, you didn't get that quite right, but you've got to appeal pretty quickly to get it fixed. So, so there's three real problems here. One is there's been a government tendency, and we, we had an event on this a couple of weeks ago, and we laid out the data, to move towards all ratings are satisfactory. And satisfactory is now being defined as you did everything the contract said you were supposed to do. Now, you know, if you it's were cloudy and Lake will be gone. Uh, well, exactly. And, and you know, if, if you came home from school with a satisfactory grade, your parents were not likely to say, oh, Tom, that was very satisfactory. We're very happy with you. Right. right. And, and you would do you the get same a satisfactory allowance. <laughs> That's right. You get exactly. So so companies would like to know what do I need to do to be rated above satisfactory? Right. Well, that leads to the second problem. A lot of contracting officers are so busy, they're saying, okay, the government is now requiring me to document in great detail if I rate you above satisfactory. I don't have time. I'm just going to rate you satisfactory. That's good enough. You did everything you were supposed to do. Mm. The third problem is that for a, the government, of course, is trying to get uh, new vendors in, You know, uh, non-traditional suppliers. There's a big push for that, get innovation in across the federal government. Well, when you have no government past performance experience – You get rated essentially as neutral. So what's the difference between satisfactory, where you did everything well that the contract called you to do, and neutral, which is I have no experience here at all? If these are roughly equal, this is not going to help in getting better performance out of the contracting community that we have here. So these are the issues that we're trying to get the government to tackle. And where, who tackles it? 
Well, typically it is, in fact, the chain of command for contracting officers because ultimately these are the ones who have to fill these forms out. So it's agency by agency up to the senior procurement official. It is, and, 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 and it is behavior that flows down both in terms of guidance and in terms of what you reward, right? Because every contracting officer has their own performance evaluation system. Right. It's the internal government performance assessment. Right. And so so how many of those get satisfactory and how many of them would settle for a satisfactory rating? We really need to tackle this question so that the government can reward good performance by moving more work to those people downstream. And of course, it would increase transparency. It would. It would be tremendously valuable across the board. I mean, in the end, the American people deserve to know what they got for their money. Right. And a good performance is what you desire to get. And so what you'd like to do is have that good performance occur and have it be reflected in the reporting system. David Berto is president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. As always, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.